Imagine with me, if you would, that you are standing at the uh, shore of the ocean. You're on the beach, and you see a wave coming in the distance. And the wave is approaching. As it's approaching, it's growing. It's frothing and foaming. It's rising. And you know in your heart this wave is powerful. But it doesn't matter how many people tell you from the side that you need to get out of the water or that this thing is going to hurt when it hits. There's something about the difference between the expectation of the power of that wave and the moment that wave washes over you. You know what I mean? You find yourself knocked off your feet, struggling to see which way is up, struggling for breath. And I think that's how I feel this weekend. And that we've known about Tyree Nichols' death for a few weeks But to see it is to have that wave wash over you and to not know which way is up or down. And so we had another plan for this Sunday, like I mentioned, and it just didn't feel right anymore. And so um, some of our shepherds got together and leaders, worship team, and talked about our worship service. And I, I just jotted down notes in my prayer journal And those notes are going to be the sermon, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. We'll see. I think I want to say something to you as one of of your ministers, and I also want to say something about Tyree Nichols. Let me start with Tyree. I think it's so important to remember that before Tyree Nichols was a hashtag, he was a person made in the image of God, a child of God like my brother Reggie said. You know, before he was the subject of news stories, before he was the reason of protest or the subject of social media posts after social media posts, he was a man born a boy to a sweet and loving mom and dad who grew up to this young man who had loves and passions and interests and had a child of his own, also a father. I just... Man, I don't want to get lost this morning. Even what I say about what we do in this moment, I don't want to lose that singular fact. This was a man made in God's image. And like, if, if you are like me, and I know that you are, it's one of the reasons I love this church, I know that like me, if you've thought about anything this weekend, you have thought about Tyree's mom and dad. And what it would be like See your own child die in that way. And so um, I don't want to forget that this morning. I don't want to lose sight of that. What the Bible tells us from Genesis to James is that Tyree, like each and every one of you, was made in the image of God. That's a special thing. You can't take it away from a person, no matter what. That, every single one of us maintains God's image, no matter what. And because of that, from Genesis to the book of James, we're told that the way you treat people matters because they're made in the image of God. And because they can never lose that, they deserve dignity and respect and love, every single person and protection. And so I know that you, like me, your heart is broken. That's one of the things about this church. We've got a big 
are. We love our city well. We love the world well. And when something happens like this, you, like me, your heart is broken because you know this was unjust. And so we mourn. You know, one of the things about being a Christian is that we follow a Savior who not only died for us and was resurrected for us, but whose story, for our sakes, begins when he descends from heaven apart from us and joins us right here, one of us, living our life, feeling what we feel. So part of what it means to be a Christian is to feel what Tyree and his family feel. And so I know you're doing that today. Because of that, like Paul says in Romans 12, we mourn with those who mourn. And I, I hope and pray that if, if you have not already, that God would convict your heart and that you would mourn. And I suspect that you have because there are those who are mourning and grieving deeply this morning. But you might be wondering, what else can I do? I think there's all kinds of things you might do. You might write letters to your elected officials describing your desire based on your convictions as a child of God that every person be protected and cared for. You might protest. You might vote differently. Listen, I'm a preacher. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe you have some ideas and I encourage you to pursue them. One thing I do know, I'm deeply confident of this, is that we need law enforcement who are good men and women. We need law enforcement who are believers in Jesus Christ and who have been baptized into his blood and are led by him every day, surrendering their lives to him above all. You know, I think about events like this with law enforcement. The first thing that comes to my mind every time is my father-in-law, who was a police officer for 40 years. And I'll tell you, every time I talk to him after something like this happens, his heart is broken because he put in 40 years as a good man and as a servant of Jesus, protecting people made in the image of God. And he sees something like that, and he sees it go up in smoke just like that. Everything he worked for. We got a young man here. His name's Trey. He's law enforcement. He runs our security in the children's wing. You've seen Trey over there. Big old guy, got an earpiece in every Sunday, making sure our kids are safe. Wednesday night of this week, he was here. It was obvious he had just come from work. He was still in his uniform. He looked tired and haggard, but he was here on Wednesday night because we're trying to get this new children's check-in system. So he was here on Wednesday night making sure that was up and running so our kids would be safe. That's the kind of person I want on the streets keeping us safe. And so maybe especially for our young people, you'll think about going into law enforcement making a difference for the kingdom. And then if, if, nothing, if nothing else, you know, I've told you this, Jesus before he's asked, what's the summation? What, what's, what's the essence of the Bible? What's it all about? And he says two things, love God and love your neighbor. And so based on that, we've got this thing in my family. I've shared it with you every day before the kids get out of school. I say, what's the most important thing? And they say, love God and love your neighbor, you know? And I say, yeah, and I want you to do it. So I hope that maybe you will draw closer to somebody else this week in a moment where we could easily be driven apart from one another that you would love your neighbor really well. I think those are all things that we might do. But I want to spend just a few minutes talking to you about what we must do. One thing, what we must do. I don't have any slides. Like I said, this sermon was just cobbled together this weekend. So we're going to go to Luke 18. If you have a Bible you can turn there. I want to invite you to do it. 
like I said, it won't be on the slides. If you're watching online, I'm sorry. We don't, we don't have slides for this, but I'll read, I'll read it slowly so you can follow along. We'll go Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> and then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice and so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, who by implication is so much greater, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I was thinking about at the beginning of the year who I want to be in 2023. Maybe some of y'all are doing that. And um, as I was praying through that, these two words kept coming to mind for me. I'll share one of them this morning. And that word is pleading, pleading. I've just felt God put on my heart starting in December and moving into the new year to be a man who pleads with the Lord for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm thinking especially for my family's sake. I'm thinking about my church's sake. You know that I desire revival among God's people and at Highland in our city, and I'm pleading with the Lord every day for that. In fact, our whole leadership has joined me in that. We believe part of the way that you plead with God for something is not just prayer, but fasting. You know, it's a way of showing something to God, to communicate to God that you want something really badly. So I'm pleading to God with that, and I'll talk about prayer and fasting some other time. But I've got this book, this devotional book that I work through every morning, and, it, and, and each morning it prompts me to pray for three things, to pray for my personal life and family, to pray for my church and then the world. And I'm so thankful for that prompt because as I'm pleading every morning with God to pour out His Spirit on us, to guide us by His power, I'm pleading, I'm pleading for the world around me. And that plea has changed in the last few weeks in light of the Tyree Nichols tragedy. I'll admit that even as a pastor, even as a minister, that sometimes my prayer can be half-hearted. I think that's why God's convicted me in this, to grow in pleading. I preached a couple of weeks ago, and I gave the example about what somebody might say about you at your funeral. It's not the first time you've heard that. But man, that was working on me. It was kind of working me over. What are people going to say about me at my funeral? And I'll tell you, there was a time in my life where I hoped more than anything that they would say at my funeral, that guy was a good preacher. But now I hope what they will say is, that was a man who never stopped pleading with the Lord and that it will be true when they say that. In Genesis 32, there's this story of Jacob. It's been kind of working me over. 
Jacob encounters God himself or an angel of God. It's not exactly clear. It's in the middle of the night, and Jacob just locks in this wrestling match with this angel. It's every young boy's favorite story in the Bible, right? Here he's just wrestling all night long with this angel or the Lord himself, and he just won't let him go. He just will not let him go. And finally, the angel's had enough, and he reaches forward, and he wrenches Jacob's hip, we're told. He tears his hip apart, and Jacob still won't let go. And the next thing he says is, not until you bless me. And finally, he gets his blessing. And I wrote this down in my journal. It's kind of silly. I'm kind of embarrassed to read it out loud, but I wrote down in my prayer journal, Eric, pray and plead so hard you walk with a limp. The widow here in Luke 18, she pleads with the judge. You see that word? She pleads with him. Day and night, she is just wearing him out. And there's a word here about all of our prayer before the Lord. Jesus tells us whatever we desire to ask the Lord for. But pay attention here. What is she praying for? Justice. For justice. She's pleading with this judge. And Jesus says, this isn't about a woman and a judge. It's about you and the Lord. She's pleading for justice to this unjust judge. And he says, how much more will the Lord give justice to those who cry out to him day and night for it? Will he really keep putting you off? And I'm struck by in this story here, you've got this woman. She has no power. She does not have the power she needs to deliver the justice she desires. Somebody else has it. And so she's pleading with the one who's got the power to deliver justice. She pleads with him. I mean, how many of you feel like the woman right now, this weekend? That's how I feel. Like I see what was clearly an injustice, and I desire more than anything that God's justice would be done on earth as it is in heaven, and yet I can't deliver it. I went on this trip to Guatemala a few years ago with one of our shepherds, Gerald Jerkins. He's a physician, and he went down there to perform these life-saving surgeries on hundreds of people while we were there. He's been going there for years, and I got to tag along as the chaplain. So it's me, no medical skills or training, and lousy Spanish, and a whole bunch of nurses and doctors, all of whom are taking care of people, saving their lives, and I go up and I just say, hola. You know, like that's all, all I can do in the moment. And I remember feeling, by comparison to those physicians and caregivers, so helpless, so powerless to help these people in ways that they actually needed. And this moment has that feeling, doesn't it? You know, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a police officer. I'm not a lawyer, a district attorney. I'm not an elected official. What can I do? And you feel powerless. And you, like me, don't have the power to deliver the justice you desire. That's how you feel. But if you don't hear anything else, hear that. Hear this. If we believe that means we are powerless, we have totally missed the point. Totally missed it. Because look again with me here. If Jesus is saying anything to us in this parable about this widow, it is that there is great, great power in pleading to the Lord for his justice on earth. Great power. Here in this story, we got a judge and he's corrupt. He's not good. He's a bad dude. Okay. 
And again, the takeaway is how much greater the righteous and perfect judge, the loving father, how much greater will be the justice that he can deliver than the imperfect justice of this world. So in the midst of your pleading to public officials and all that which is good and right and perfect, don't lose sight of the fact that if there's anything we must do, it's that the people of God must stop pleading to him for justice, pleading to him for it. You know, there's this refrain, thoughts and prayers or thoughts and prayers, and everybody says, oh, it's, it's kind of become very popular to criticize that and say, well, thoughts and prayers, we need real action. Thoughts and prayers don't mean anything. Well, again, Thoughts and prayers, or at least the latter prayers, are powerful. They're powerful. I said earlier that I want to be remembered at my funeral as a person who pleads with the Lord. Well, I want our church to be known as a people who plead with the Lord. Like, we do all these other great things. We're going to do this night to shine that you've heard about. We need more volunteers for that. We work with Hope Works and Agape. We've got great Sunday school classes that y'all are about to go to in a minute. And we're doing all kinds of incredible ministry here in this place and in our city and around the world. We've got missionaries in the far stretches of the world. And I love all that. I'm going to celebrate all that. But I hope that when people talk about Highland, what they say is that's a group of people who just don't stop pleading with the Lord. And if you need something... If your heart is broken about something in this city, about something in your life, and you desire God's justice and will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, you need to go to Highland because those people plead with the Lord. They don't stop. Which brings me to this last, last point I want to make about this. Would you look at the last verse with me really quick here? He says this, he, he makes this promise about the Lord delivering justice to those who plead for it. And we are pleading for justice in the case of Tyree Nichols. But then look what else he says. Look at this, verse 8. I tell you, he, the Lord, will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? One of the things I do, I've shared this before in the morning, is typically I'll pray a psalm every morning. And it's a great practice. If you don't do it, there's 150 of them. You can do it twice in a year. Great, great practice. One of the things over the years of doing that that I've noticed is that some of these prayers are just mad. They are just put out with God. They just cannot believe that God let something happen in their lives or in the lives of people around and they're crying out to God. They're angry with God. They want God to make something right that is clearly wrong. And in the Bible, right means just. They want God to do justice in a situation that feels unjust and they've just had enough with God. But every time I read one of those Psalms, what I'm struck by is they are still addressed to who? To God. Man, there's something in that. As disillusioned, as disoriented, as confused, unable to see up or down, though they might be, they have not lost sight of the singular fact that the only one who can help them is the Lord, and he's still there. He's still there. And as I talk with people and as I just observe what's happening in our city, and I'm so thankful that re the response was not worse. And praise God for that. I'm proud of our city in that. But one thing that I've noticed is just the arising or abiding sense of despair and hopelessness. 
This will never change. This will always happen. And I'll tell you, that is a legitimate way to feel. But I hope, here's my hope, that like Paul says in Corinthians, we may be perplexed, but that we would not be in despair. Because the reason so many feel that way is not only their experience, but that they have lost sight of the fact that there is still a God who's there. And if we plead with him for his justice to be done and we cry out to him day and night, will he not deliver justice for his chosen ones? And we, of all people, can't stop believing that. We are perplexed, but we, the people of God, are not in despair. We're not in despair. So I want to ask you, as I finish here, I'm going to invite up one of our shepherds, Jay Shapley, who's going to lead us in communion. I want, I want to ask you to plead with me for God's justice to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Will you do that? I know you will.